Hey, do you like weird movies? You do? Have you heard of Vinegar Syndrome? Find them online at www.vinegarsyndrome.com. Vinegar Syndrome is one of the leading exploitation and grindhouse preservation and distribution companies in the world. They've got a simple three-step process that I call the three R's. Recover, restore, and release. Vinegar Syndrome has an amazingly large film archive consisting of thousands of 35 and 16 millimeter negatives and prints and are actively finding films that are underappreciated, undervalued, and underseen. So many of their releases have never seen the light of day since VHS, and they're restoring them to all their glory. Some of these films do not have the right to look as good as they do, but they do. I'm looking at you, corpse grinders. Vinegar Syndrome has their own method of restoration where their goal is to recreate the theatrical experience as best as they can. With their own in-house lab, they scan, color grade, and restore each title personally. You'll never see any grain reduction and digital trickery on their discs. Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting label, and we're proud to have them as a sponsor. They've been with us since the beginning, and we love them for it. Check out their website today and pick up your copies of Rudy Ray Moore's Dolomite films, just in time for the new Netflix movie Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy. Also available is Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy Rowdy Piper, James Hong's The Vineyard, Pledge Night, Lust in the Dust, starring Divine, Putney Swope, The Amityville Cursed Collection, and much, much more. Also, don't forget to pre-order your copy of Tammy and the T-Rex in glorious 4K Ultra High Definition or Blu-ray and The oh, Angel shit. Collection. Once again, be sure to visit them at www.vinegarsyndrome.com and grab yourself something cool. Let them know your good friend Michael sent you. Hey Nick. Yes? Do you like horror movies? Oh, you know I do. Do you like weird, extreme, taboo, and cult horror movies? Of course. They're my favorite kind. Well, I've got some news for you. Because MVD Entertainment Group and the popular Rue Morgue magazine have teamed up to launch the Midnight Movie Society. What? Yeah. They are a curated subscription video on demand service specializing in extreme underground, taboo, and cult horror movies. Now, genre fans can gain access to a film library of shocking underground, outrageous gore, creature features, cult classics, and much more. Those with a taste for the weirdest and wildest reaches of genre cinema will not be disappointed. The bigger platforms are catering to the masses and have gone puritanical in many cases, making it very difficult for filmmakers to reach their audiences, says Ed Seaman, COO of MVD Entertainment Group. MVD has a great deal of this type of content, and when it is live on major platforms, it performs really well. Maybe too well for some of the mainstream platforms. The Midnight Movie Society will also cater to more traditional horror fare as well, pulling from the thousands of film hours from in MVD's vast catalog. In addition, Rue Morgue will also be finding and curating fresh and unusual content for the service. Adriana Dober, director of programming, says as larger streaming platforms continue to crack down on content, there's an urgent need to create a space for boundary-pushing films unencumbered by strangling content restrictions. That I don't know why that word was so hard for me to say. <laughs> strangling. Strangling, especially given the content. As a lifelong horror fan, I'm proud and excited to be working with 
MVD Entertainment Group, and genre champions Rue Morgue Magazine to bring Midnight Movie Society to the masses. Rue Morgue Magazine is a name that everyone can trust. It's actually a horror magazine I used to buy back in the day, and they're Canadian, so you know they're extra fucking weird. And nice. Yeah, and nice. Best of all, Midnight Movie Society is supplying all of our amazing listeners with an opportunity to get on board and try the service out for themselves. If you go to www midnightmoviesociety.com you can save 33% off your first three months of Midnight Movie Society by using the promo code SHAMELIST SHAMELIST! SHAMELIST! We have our own promo code! Yes, you heard me, you will save a whopping 33% on your first three months. That's just insanity to me. So, once again, go to www.midnightmoviesociety.com and use the promo code SHAMELIST S-H-A-M-E-L-I-S-T no spaces. No spaces. All one word. Shameless. It's like you're yelling it at someone. Yell it at the promo code, but also make sure you type it in. Arrow Films is a leading independent entertainment distribution company established in 1991. Operating in the UK, the Republic of Ireland, United States of America, and Canada, Arrow Films is dedicated to supporting upcoming and established filmmakers of dynamic new cinema and developing an inviolable slate of quality films that enjoy a lasting legacy across its award-winning branded labels, channels, and platforms. Arrow Films is also a leading restorer and theatrical distributor of classic and cult horror films, including landmark titles such as the 25th anniversary reissue of Cinema Paradiso, the 15th anniversary reissue of Donnie Darko, and the 30th anniversary reissue of Hellraiser. These lovingly restored films are brought back into cinemas nationwide with brand new look campaigns with wide-reaching distribution, including outdoor event status screenings at various cultural festivals, and as one-off bookings in local repertory cinemas and film societies. Aerofilms is also widely considered to be the global market leader in the premium home entertainment market, fueled by passionate and expert curation aligned with state-of-the-art in-house film restoration, resulting in highly sought-after bespoke Blu-ray editions of classic cult and horror films across its Aero Video and Aero Academy branded labels. Beloved by collectors, these ever-expanding brands continue to delight their growing international fan base with regular interactive live events, festival sponsorship, and retail stands presence. Our offering extends to truly limited edition box sets, as well as associated spin-off products, now including books and vinyl records. We are so happy to have Aero Video as one of our new sponsors. You can find them at www.aerofilms.com. While you're there, be sure to pick up some cool titles. For example, they have the brand new American Werewolf in London collection, which is beautiful. The complete Sartana collection, Hellraiser 1, 2, and 3, Toys Are Not For Children, a new edition of Al Pacino's Cruising, and let's not forget a limited edition copy of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and an upcoming limited edition copy of RoboCop. There's so much more I can't even get into them all, but trust me when I say they are fantastic. And we couldn't be happier to have them. So once again, visit Aerofilms at www.aerofilms.com and check out all of their brands from Aero Video, Aero Academy, Aerofilms, and Aero TV. This 
movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is a man who often proclaims, "I ain't a forty-hour motherfucker." Nick Richards, and I will not say quit. <laughs> Thank you, New Jack. On today's episode, we'll be watching truly one of my favorite films and probably my favorite documentary of all time. But I'm a little biased. It's also monumental because I am. Finally able to organically work professional wrestling into the curriculum. So today we are watching Barry W. Blaustein's Beyond the Mat. What is professional wrestling? Yes, we know it's two people slamming each other down on a wooden mat and pretending to be other people. But what is it really? Is it a sport? Is it entertainment? Is it performance art? A passion? A job? Well, it's all that and more. For some, it's a job, and others a curse, and for some, even a dream. We follow the day-to-day lives of a handful of wrestlers, some at the top of their careers, some just starting out, and some on their way out, and maybe even one that can't quite get rid of it. We examine why they're attracted to this crazy business and uh, why it resonates with fans. Beyond the Mat was a big deal because, to my knowledge, it was one of the first documentaries that were allowed full access behind the curtain of the World Wrestling Federation, now known as World Wrestling Entertainment. We got to see how wrestlers talked to each other before the match, how things played out, and what we don't see after a match, which can oftentimes be pretty traumatizing. Blaustein made one of the most interesting documentaries on wrestling I've ever seen, and it features big names such as, well, big names if you're a wrestling fan, uh, like Jake the Snake Roberts, Terry Funk, Mick Foley, Vince McMahon himself, and some guy I'm sure no one's ever heard of, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> rock the Dwayne Johnson. Rock the drain. The Rock the drain. <laughs> rock the drain. <laughs> it, it's canon now. <laughs> so play the trailer, Nick. Quite frankly, what we've come up with is... Since you are able to regurgitate, you know, on command, um, it, it just seems to me that, that, that it's pretty logical that you should be puke. It's all supposed to be fun. The Rock is the most electrifying man in sports entertainment today. It's not supposed to be real. <laughs> You're not going to be scared, right? It's going to be okay. You can go back to the future. You can do anything. Right? But behind the scenes, it's a whole different story. I hope everyone feels like they got their money's worth out there. And for the first time ever, you'll know the real truth. He's got a puke! He's got a puke! He's got a puke! It is showtime! The hard facts. Worried about him as far as his health. You need a new knee now. She's gonna live here the rest of her life probably and uh, have seven kids and uh, seven husbands and she'll always remember the nightmare. The family pain. You make it sound like you don't even want to live. There's time to know. 
psycho. The real danger. Shut up! I'm a very violent person, and I'll hurt you. So I get paid to do what I'm doing. It's like any entertainer. Come face to face with the wrestling world the way it's never been seen before. Gave up Wall Street for Wall Street wasn't fun. Wrestling is fun. It's still hard after all these years. We did it! I just don't want to hurt no more. This is the dance. Beyond the mat. I think we touched a lot of people. Yeah. If you don't mind me saying. All right, there's the trailer. I was hoping you're gonna lead me out. <laughs> is it? Is it? Is it now? Is it now? Are we good? The flow is all right. Typically, like when we're recording, we're not actually showing those things. We edit them in later. Um, so well, it's don't it's, tell them that. <laughs> I'm, well, much like this documentary, we are taking them behind the curtains of the Shameless Picture Show. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> this then this was a very uh, apt film yeah. to watch. Very so normally how this show works, yeah. Normally how this show works for uh, new people to the show is uh, we, me and Nick, are watching stuff that are on our respective shame lists, and you know because as we've talked before that. Um, there's a lot of things on our you know that people haven't seen. You know, uh, like The Godfather was on my shame list. The Exorcist was on mine. Uh, Taxi Driver. And it's all these films that, you know, you kind of lie to yourself and be like, yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> Today's a little weird because it's a movie that I've forced on your shame list. I don't think you even knew existed. I, I, I did not know it existed. I wouldn't say forced. I think um, uh, re- you you recommended it to my shame list. <laughs> Yes, I recommended it to your shame list. And we were originally supposed to do Alien today, which I think will be our next episode. Well, yeah, we'll get, um, get that one checked off um, my shame list. Uh, very much like... Yeah, very much like Terminator. You hadn't realized you hadn't seen it. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, this was one that I was really passionate about because it was a movie that I grew up watching. I, pro- I would say it's probably my most watched documentary because not only is it subject matter I find interesting, but then even beyond that, I just find the the this, the interpersonal stories between these people and who they really are to be endlessly fascinating. It was one of the first DVDs I remember buying. Um, I have I actually watched the unrated uh, director's cut, which I watched a little bit of the one on Netflix. And I realized it annoyed me because the, mo- the movie's supposed to be in 4.3 and they ex- expanded it for some reason okay. to fit this to fit widescreens. So I was like, ah, nuts to this. I'm going to go get my DVD. And it starts off completely differently. Not completely oh. differently, but similar. So there's going to be some of that. But it's a movie that I um, I knew nothing about when I bought it. I just like, hey, there's a professional wrestling documentary. I'm intrigued. Uh, <laughs> and I want to say I bought it in 2006. Like... So about yeah, six years okay. after it came I was going to say that this was yeah this came came out in 99 which was right as like yeah. dvds were starting to to hit yeah and uh, like i remember it was a big deal too because like it was around that age that i had learned that perf- uh, i don't want to say professional wrestling is fake but professional wrestling is predetermined it's choreographed um, and, yeah uh, okay elephants in the room wrestling is fake and no not even in the way game of thrones is fake 
Professional wrestling is a pretend sport masquerading as a real one. These two women are not actually fighting, these two men do not actually hate each other, and this is not an actual evil voodoo priest named Papa Shango, it's Charles Wright, who's also played the role of a salty martial artist and a jovial pimp. And he, alongside an entire industry of his fellow wrestlers, all work together as a highly choreographed physical theatre, the goal of which is to convince the audience that what they are seeing is an actual competitive event. This is the sticking point with a lot of people in wrestling, the idea that it's fake and not a legitimate sport, thus devaluing it as a piece of entertainment. But to me, wrestling isn't devalued by the fact that it's fake, rather it's fascinating because of it. Uh, and so it was around that time that I started learning how this stuff, that, you know, how it was done. And I, I've described professional wrestling, because like, I think there's, I'm, I'm going to let you talk here in a second, but I'm just kind of talking about my personal yeah, yeah. interpretation of this. Professional wrestling, I think for a lot of people, um, a lot of people like it when they're young. And then they get to a certain age where they're no longer in love with it. And I've learned, I think, where it comes from. It, where you people fall out of love for it is when they find out that it's not real. And I feel like so many people are burned by it because it's a thing that's presented itself as being real. That's not. Um, but for me, l- learning how the inner workings of it's done made me love it more. Very much like movies. Because like, I know some people who don't want to know how... They don't want to know how the sausage is made because <laughs> it makes them not enjoy it anymore. Weirdly, I've always been that person who's like, I want to know these inner workings. I want to know what goes on behind the curtain. And that was a big deal for me at this age where I was like, oh, shit. You know, I knew that, you know, The Undertaker wasn't really a dead guy and everything. <laughs> but then, like, seeing how stuff plays, every time I was like, oh, you know, it's all fake, right? It's like, yeah, I don't think that, I don't think Mick Foley getting smashed in the chair 12 times in the face was fake. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's the, the reality of the situation, I think, is what, why this does, documentary resonated with yeah. me. Yeah. And, um, like, I, yeah. I, I had started from a very different place, but uh, ended mm-hmm. kind of similarly in that I was not into wrestling when I was a kid. Um, back yeah. when I wasn't You're one of the thinking few, about I... whether or not it was real or not. When, when people were just beating each other up in a cage, like that didn't intrigue me at all. I didn't like boxing. I didn't like it. I was... It... Drama and and, um, and physical like fighting makes me really anxious and always has. Um, so watching people fight I, didn't appeal to me as a child. Um, Understandable. But as I got older and started to to hear people passionate about wrestling as adults from from this perspective of it's not about the you don't watch it for the same reason that you watch boxing you watch it for the pageantry and the and the the cinema of it all the the yeah that that kind of drama not the not the kind of drama that makes me anxious but the the scripting and and all that um then i could understand it more it's still not like something that draws me but i Mm -hmm. got it um and then something else that that i'll say is um a show that we've started to produce at mctv we actually recorded the episode like days before uh the avalon shut down so so it's still not up but um there's a local wrestling um organization called del Del delmarva well the 
The show's called Delmarva Wrestling Digest. Uh, I'm not sure what the actual, okay. like, the... I don't know the right word. The organization is called, but Delmarva Wrestling, I'm guessing. Um, and it's... And the guy that's producing the show is is a wrestler and, and promoter. And he is the, the nicest guy. I actually, like... Um, watching the promoters in the documentary, like I didn't see him at all, but the way that some of the wrestlers are, how nice they are, mm-hmm. like I I could see uh, him um, in that, and and it's cool talking to him about wrestling and hearing why he's passionate about it, and um, seeing some of these smaller wrestling you know seeing people trying to make it and and yeah and um, it's it's it, like you said before it's storytelling and that's what yeah. brought me in original and it wasn't you know just the people on the mic telling the story of like oh i'm gonna do this to you but then <laughs> there's also storytelling happening in the ring like you know let's just use a very simple example if your finishing move is a is a leg lock theoretically you'd want to work the legs on the person to you know to tell that story of wearing down their legs or if someone comes in with an injury Go after that, and you know there's there's a whole story being told in the ring, uh, and that's kind of what gets the crowd going. There, uh, there's some wrestlers who will go out there and completely just you know have every single move planned out, but a lot of the good ones will go out there and improv. Yeah, you know well, they'll, they'll talk to each other in the ring. Hearing them talking, the the wrestlers talking to each other before they go on, you can see they. They like hit a couple of points that they want to hit, but there's yeah. so much improv in between that. And then not only the wrestlers, but take like the the um, commentators. You mm-hmm. know, in an actual sporting event, baseball, football, it's it's about reacting to what you're saying with your expertise of of that sport. Where mm-hmm. the the um, commentators in wrestling are doing much more improving. Because it isn't like you're you're not reacting to something that actually happened as as an athletic competition between two people. You're you're thinking about it more like a story and and how do I rev up the crowd and how do I help make this bout between these two people who aren't actually competing against each other they're they're entertaining. How do I help be a part of that magic? But also still make it feel like a sporting event, right? Right. Um, and then like you know, there's uh, there's that piece near the end, like after that, you know, that that really gruesome match near the end where the Mick Foley took all those chair shots to the head, and him and the Rock were talking afterwards. He's he's like, you know, I should have seen your cue when you turned your head that I shouldn't have leaned so much into it. Right. But we were just in the <laughs> moment, and I just you know, he's like, I didn't see your cue, and you know, things like that, like. You know they're 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 communicating with each other. They're right. trying not to make it obvious. <laughs> right. And, um, but yeah, like hopefully, like uh, I'll ask you what you thought about the movie here in just a second. But hopefully, if anything, um, it kind of gave you a little more perspective into why someone like me finds this stuff so interesting. Yeah. No. I I think um, for people that enjoy wrestling as pageantry. Mm-hmm. I think this documentary, like, because you don't get to see the behind the scenes anywhere else, because there is this, everybody in the industry is trying to convince you that it's real. 
yeah. for the, you know, just, just like, um, you know, when we do stage performance at theater at, at the Avalon, like backstage, front of house, the actors on the stage, the director, like everybody is trying to create this show. And that's true in wrestling also. So to, you don't, if you're excited about the, the how-to, you everybody's working to not show that to you. Right. Yeah, you don't want to see the strings. Right. Um, and as somebody who's not really into that, the front side of it, they're going to see a show doesn't interest me, but the, the, but the stagecraft of it does like, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed this documentary. I'm um, glad I, and, and there's two conversations to here really. There's what did we think about the documentary? Mm-hmm. And what do you think about wrestling? Yeah. Right? Like, and yeah. And I feel like without, if we're not separating those two, the conversation will be much more what do you think about wrestling? So, you know, to, to talk about the documentary a bit more is like seeing all of these tragic stories, too, of the people involved in it, be it. Uh, Mick Foley, the the great dad who doesn't realize what impact it's having on his kids mm-hmm. until he sees that footage of them watching him at the end. You know, he mm-hmm. he can say all he wants, like, oh, it's just a boo-boo. It's just a boo-boo. You get boo-boos too, right? Like, uh, talking the kid through it because it is make-believe. But then they do such a good job um, but they both do such a good job with the spectacle of it all making it seem real. But then also, they are legitimately getting hurt. I was glad to see Mick was okay and was happy that he could walk out of the arena with his family that night. But the sight of Noel and Dewey watching their father being beaten up haunted me for weeks. I decided to go to Florida to show Mick the footage. That right there is where that picture was taken. That was even before things got... Oh. Oh, God. (sighs) (sighs) I don't feel like such a good dad anymore. Felt very guilty all of a sudden, like a real, really like my uh, my priorities were out of order. I can't, I, I mean, I feel like a bad dad, and I've never felt like that ever before. Right then, I just felt like I was like, like I was, I was a bad person. I don't, I don't ever want to see my children like that again. I'll, I'll, maybe I will be the guy who pulls his sock out of his tights for the next couple of years. That's, uh, reading for the, uh, uh, yeah, nothing. Nothing's worth that. Nothing. I don't. I, I will never do that again. I don't. I don't want my children um, involved in something like that. You know, I want our family to to have the last laugh. Like they are legitimately bleeding. Yeah. They are legitimately beating each other with these props, and they're they're ramping it up. But he was still bleeding from his head badly. Like, and that's gonna freak it. <laughs> 
your your son or daughter out um and like, so it, same, like one element like they're they're even they were re-stitch they were re-gluing his head shut before the match because they, they probably knew oh this is where it's gonna start yep <laughs> um but no, exactly. It's 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 it's, and I don't mean this in a bad way because some people view this as a bad thing. It's emotional manipulation, um, all, and it's it, all art is. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you know, in your own bubble, in your own bubble, it's like you can you can be like, oh, they grew up around this, they're fine and everything. I'm sure they'll be good. And then like also when you're, probably in his case when he's in a match, he probably doesn't like. Yeah, things are amping up. It got a little more out of control than we thought. But you're not thinking about like. All you have to go off of is oh, the crowd is cheering. They're loving this. Mm-hmm. And you know, and he, you're not thinking about how it's affecting your kids and your family, right? Until he saw that, and you know, they they cut that part together and showed it to him, and it's like that. That's what for me was such a powerful moment in this documentary, and um, a little bit of a change in in. I imagine the way that he carried himself from there on out. Like he didn't stop wrestling for a little while still, and he still did some. Uh, some violent matches, but I'll give you a little inside baseball thing. Um, I think it was after that match with The Rock, they pretty much WWE put a ban on all n- unprotected hair- chair shots, which they should have done a long time ago. <laughs> um, and then, like he even says in the documentary, when he was thrown off that uh, thrown off that cage. Like Vince McMahon was pretty much like, "I appreciate what you did, but don't ever fucking do that." <laughs> Oh, and and what it sounded like to me, knowing little about it, was I don't think he... Oh, the first one, he was thrown off the cage. Is that... And that was the one you were talking about? The second one, like, the cage just gave out. And he was talking about how, like, I could feel that the cage was not going to hold up. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, like, what what I really like about this documentary is it could it could easily just do one one whole story on any of these people. It can do one whole story on Mick Foley. It can do yeah. one whole story on on Terry Funk and the amazing and Dennis the Stamp snake. and his <laughs> and his fucking trampoline and weights. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it could do an entire documentary on Jake the Snake, and there have been two documentaries just on Jake the Snake and his battle of drugs. And okay. actually, they just made one about him finally getting clean. Oh wow. Um. And, you know, or even just the young guys. And, you know, uh, what was the, um, there was that one wrestling promoter, I can't, uh, Roland oh, Alexander yeah. and his fucking carny like show. I love how like, they I described was, him as a like, carny at the end. Yeah. Where he's like, oh, you, you know how to eat? Do you know how to check labels? It's like, look at you. <laughs> yep. Yes. <laughs> and like, you know, they could have done, one, they could have just done a singular documentary in any of these people and it yeah. probably would have been interesting, but it was seeing the juxtaposition of all these these different people and you know like it's kind of one of those things it's like you know you saw the young people who wanted to get in because this is their dream and then you saw you know someone like jake the snake who was fucking top of the world and how shitty his life is because not just because of professional wrestling he had a really fucked up life yeah um but then even terry funk who seeing him and his dad together oh after he described like talking about like his mom and how she was 13 because of what his dad did and stuff. And then they're like sitting there writing together. And I'm like, Nope, Nope. I'm, I'm done with his dad. <laughs> that's not even the worst. Like, well, that's, that's one of the, like uh, his stepmom who he talks about as well. So like the woman that his dad was actually married to okay. raped Jake. <laughs> oh, geez. Oh. So it's like, you know, he, he no wonder he, he, he resorted to drugs, but then you got someone like Terry Funk 
who's not a drug addict, who's got a loving family, loving wife. Yeah. But his body know, is shot because of <laughs> of all this. He Terry Funk was the only one of the main people that I had not heard of. Yeah, I, I knew Jake the Snake. I knew. Um, I even knew the guy with the bird. Coco, beware. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, God, the other one's escaping. Oh, um, Mankind. And actually, yep. um, Mick Foley, um, for, I, I, one of the sound guys at the theater is a huge fan of wrestling, a friend of mine. Um, and it was before I started, but Mick Foley did, like, I think it was comedy. Like at the Avalon Theater, he like yeah. Came. I've been to one of his shows. He, okay. He's kind of telling telling stories and okay. He did that I'd, show. I'd use comedy, yeah. So um, so that was an interesting connection to that. That you know, I've seen pictures of him where I worked, and and now he's a Santa Claus impersonator as well. <laughs> and there's was he in the Santa Claus documentary? Yes, he was. So it's like, here's that guy and his various different sides to his life. And I thought this documentary did a really good... Because when you first see him in this documentary, and like I love that he's uh, still asking his dad if he he could have permission to wrestle down in the basement of his kids. And it's like, you seem like a legitimately nice guy. And actually, so did Terry Funk. Like Terry Funk's got this reputation of being this crazy wild man. But I absolutely love that line because it's so innocent where he's like if i don't get this surgery will i be able to walk around comfortably you shouldn't be able to walk around comfortably yeah. now on your good knee your left knee you have moderate to severe degenerative arthritis you don't have a good joint space in here you have some narrowing of the space arthritis arthritic spicules in there and it's not going to function very well it ought to be able to get by the rest of your life just hurting all the time all right on your bad knee, on the right knee, you have no joint space. You have severe degenerative arthritis. You have worn that knee out. It's been hurt too many times, and you are going to need a new knee. You need a new knee now. Let me ask you one thing. If, yeah. if I don't have an operation or if I don't have a new knee put in there, can I go ahead and, and live comfortably? Can I get around comfortably? You shouldn't be able life? to get around comfortably now. This ought to give you pain chronically. It ought to be disabling to you. And that is a problem. There's not a whole lot we can do when we get to that point. And chronic pain for the next 30 or 40 years isn't a real fun thing to think about. <laughs> the doctor like, nope, that's not true. <laughs> you are in extreme pain right now. Yeah. No. You probably just don't have any nerve endings oh, left to, to be able to realize it. <laughs> but, oh. like, you know, and here's a guy like him who, who had a good career, and it's like, was it worth it? Yeah. But then, like, the guy retired, and then three months later, he's like, you know, he, it's one of those things that he'll probably never be able to quit I don't until think it kills I, him. I don't think I love anything as much as Terry and his brother Dory love wrestling. <laughs> Terry had, had a match. The, the last one I remember keeping track of, he had one as, as most recently as 2017. Okay. So he's still out Not there. that long ago. <laughs> no, he's still out there. Yep. And he's still trying to do that moonsault from the top rope that didn't look good when he, was, when he could move. <laughs> right. Um, but no, for me, that's that, that that's the thing that keeps bringing me back to this documentary is just all the like I've seen this documentary handfuls of time. Like I would lend this movie out to anyone who would even show an interest in it, yeah. just because I find it so endlessly fascinating. And I think a big part of it is the characters. Like I could watch probably a longer cut of this film and still find myself gripped with it. Because one thing that you didn't see in the theatrical cut that you watched off Netflix 
was the documentary, they, they have a similar intro, intro where Barry Blaustein introduces himself. You know, I'm a screenwriter from California and everything. But that's where the movie begins. It's like, oh, I'm a you know, screenwriter. I watch wrestling. But why do I watch wrestling? He kind of, they have this, 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 this shot. They, they, they staged it. Talking about his first experience watching mm-hmm. wrestling. Uh, or his dad took him to see a show live. And he remembers this big hulking guy coming out and being like t- terrified of him. Like, who is this guy? And then after the show, saw him, you know, rush into a car with his, and kiss his wife, and they and they drove off together. And he's like, this is this guy's got a wife. He's this the, is a job he's a person, for him. right? It's like, yeah. And he's like, that was one of the earliest things. Like, this is a really fascinating aspect and it, you know Barry Blaustein being a a screenwriter and filmmaker that's probably like what was also going through his mind as he got older and kept watching it and it's kind of like he got a taste of behind the curtain as a kid and it kind of just helped propel him and you know that was the whole thing is like who are the people behind the people they're playing to be because you wouldn't assume Mick Foley would be as nice as he is based on the fucking character right <laughs> So that that's what I constantly go back to. And then, like, I just think the movie's stupidly quotable. <laughs> like, unintentionally so. I yeah. think it's just re- a really quotable movie. <laughs> like, uh, like that New Jack line that I quoted at the beginning for your intro. Like, the, the entire New Jack section is funny because New Jack... Like, I just... I, I just love Barry Blaustein's introduction. I've never had a friend that had a justifiable homicide, let alone, let alone four. four. <laughs> And then he like gets him an audition, and then yeah. like that's the end of that. Like, um, yeah, I could see him kind of as a okay. Now moving, and we never hear from him again. Yeah, and then like uh, uh, Vince McMahon's line at the beginning, where he's like really awkwardly drinking water and goes, "We make movies." Yeah, right. <laughs> Like I just there's there's so much that I find uh, like I, when I was watching when we were when we were attempting the live stream and we were watching the um um uh, the 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 trailer again I I can't see that trailer without imagining Vince McMahon going he's gonna puke he's gonna puke <laughs> And uh, so that just that that brings me joy in, in, a, in a weird way. Like it's it's kind of a comfort movie, and it's 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 not a very like comforting movie, but it's become one for me. Yeah. Where like I remember when I first got together with Amanda, it was a movie that I really wanted to show her, and it took us up until now to finish it. <laughs> and it's not because it was hard to watch or anything. It's just whenever we tried to watch it, I think it was just a little too um, uh little too dense for like if it was later on in the night or something right. like that so yeah um so yeah like i just um yeah i guess i the ultimate thing that i guess i want to say is i wish there was more documentaries like this and not even just for professional wrestling but i feel like um like this is the type of documentary i i, I really gravitate to a documentary about interesting characters right you know, and I I call them like fly on the wall documentaries where we're following this person. It's not just like, well, on this day back then this happened and maybe we'll really throw a picture in or something. And, yeah, that, that I think like what this, is happening there is interesting enough that it doesn't need like a lot of cleanup and and fanciness. Uh, it it's a story worth telling, and that's all that it really needs. You could polish it, but it doesn't need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think just the the down and gritty aspect of it also is perfect for the subject matter. 
Because, like, WWE now has become very comfortable with... Because in wrestling, there's a term called kayfabe. Kayfabe is... Um, keeping kayfabe is keeping people believing that this is real. Because wrestlers okay. back in the day, they used to play their character in and out of the arena just because you didn't want people to know it's fake. Yeah. That was your your job, more than anything, was keeping people believing this is real. Okay. Uh, because the thought process was, if it's not real, we're not going to make money. Right. Uh, let me give you a brief history because like the the way where it actually started was wrestling used to be legitimate. Uh, you know, it would be two people trying to get each other down to the ground, and matches would sometimes go on for a couple hours. Yeah, they were there wasn't like because it, it, it was a legitimate pinning system, like you know, or, or oh, putting I'm, a person. I'm imagining more like you know the high school sports wrestling team. Kind of, you know, Roman Greco kind yes, of. Yes, yes. But you know how that, you know, you just get someone on their back and there's a pin. Like this, in wrestling, they had to pin them for three. And it's like, think about it. If you someone was down on, was, had you down on your back right now, say roughly the same size, and they tried to pin you down, would you stay down there for three seconds? Uh, I would try to get out, but being on, on my back, like, you know, I... I can't imagine it's easy, but I'm well, also did, not athletic at all. <laughs> well, just the concept is your back needs to be on the mat, both shoulders down. You just have to get a shoulder up. Okay. You think right now you can get a shoulder up? Eat, relatively simple. Uh, I I, I like don't have an, say if similar size person. Yeah, I could. I I don't have enough faith in my own athleticism to believe that I could do that <laughs> with somebody pinning well, me down. Well, the thought process is I feel like it's it's relatively easy to get a shoulder up, at least yeah. a shoulder up. Um, so it's like you'd have to wear someone down until they legitimately could not get a shoulder up. Right. So matches would go on for a couple hours, and they re- eventually realized one day it's like, fuck, this <laughs> Nobody sucks. Nobody wants to watch this. Well, they, people were watching. was like, man, my, you beat the shit out of me last night. How about we go home early, and uh, you win. We'll do this, and then you win. <laughs> you know, that way we can kind of save ourselves some you know, pain. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. And they're like, oh, shit, that worked out really well. <laughs> And it just kind of slowly became that was the process. Okay. Um, and uh, they people thought it was legitimate for so long that they were written up in in the sporting section on newspapers. <laughs> and they thought, well, shit, people aren't going to come and see us if they know it's fake. So right. that was the whole game. Was the longest time was making people believe it's real. So uh, I don't remember where I where I was going with that. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I threw you off with my. <laughs> With my lack of faith in my own athletic ability, you're like you're, you're, I don't you're destroying wh- my point, Nick. <laughs> I don't remember where I was necessarily going with that, but uh, um, but you know, so they in in professional wrestling, like I said, they 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 their whole thing was to oh, what I was saying is so Vin, so that was the whole point of wrestling was keeping people believing it's real, and then it became a thing in the '90s where it became pretty. Vince McMahon might, might even come out and said, hey, you know, this, you know, something happened on our show that we don't agree with. And we we're just doing a storyline and pretty much told people on national television that this isn't real. This is this is bullshit. And yeah. not necessarily in those <laughs> words, because um, uh, they, they never you never it was like a brotherhood type of thing. Like it was like a fraternity where if you started trying to become a wrestler, they would kind of beat you up for about a week and see if you really are serious about it, and then be like, okay, let me smarten you up a little, because they, they wouldn't pull their punch, they, not punches, but they you know their chops and their holds and everything. They try to weed people out. Like okay. Hulk Hogan tells a story of when he first tried to wrestle, to get trained to wrestle. He he stepped in and here's just a muscle bound dude, and they're like, fuck you, and they broke his leg. Oh jeez. And then when he healed up, he came back and they broke the other leg. It's <laughs> like you know, that that type of shit that you got you got into. But now Vince McMahon and the WWE Network have become very comfortable showing people behind the curtain 
to yeah. an extent, but it's also cleaned up and glossed over that I feel like the kind of grungy aesthetic of this film really felt appropriate. That sure. was my eventual, there we that's go. what I was we trying to get myself to. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, and and probably part of my existing lack of interest in wrestling is, um, like, in, in my natural aversion to to violence and things like it is still violent you know they're these guys are mm-hmm. no longer have working knees or cartilage or and have severe brain trauma yeah. and um and there's also um elements i know a, a lot of uh like retired wrestlers have spoken out now recently i believe including jake the snake um about like them not being fairly compensated or protected from like um wrestlers don't have a union right they so, don't have health insurance so any industry where there's like a fat cat sitting at the top make like making a whole shit ton of money while everybody else is putting their like actual physical bodies on the line and not having like a base level of security and and financial stability like i have issues with too um yeah and it's it's gotten better for a lot of promotions i can't really speak on wwe but like it's kind of get there are still always going to be those really small shows where you get you know the old joke was a handshake and a hot dog like right, that's your yeah. payment and one um, of them in the documentary they said something like you know you're lucky if you get well there there's the the small time promoter that Roland said, Alexander, I pay yeah. everyone and then they smash cut to him saying yeah he only pays you if he thinks if he likes what you did um and then and when they dr- and they're just drinking the Kool-Aid it's like yeah that makes sense we you know <laughs> yeah and then at the end when they were when uh Terry Funk was trying to get his buddy to do the referee and he's like, oh, you're going to pay me to do this? Because I'm losing out on, you know, mm-hmm. 100 bucks. He's like, well, I was going to pay you 50. I'm like, oh, great. So so I'm going to. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that kind of stuff runs rampant. And, and as yeah. independent artists, like, we've certainly done our, had our share of exchanges with people who are like, yeah, but it'll be great exposure. Like. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and it's like it's. It, I'm not gonna say it's perfect, and I don't know for sure. I'm just a little bit. I've talked to some professional wrestlers. Like, oh, a lot of wrestlers out there can make a living. Yeah, and that's, you know, especially if they're popular enough, and they and they can they can they can not work for a big company like WWE and do enough of these shows where they're wrestling every weekend, and you know, make some money yeah. and live a comfortable life. Maybe they're not gonna be rich or anything, but it's like. Um, it's 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 good to see that it's it we're kind of in a boom period where things are thriving so much that you know that if someone you know has an injury that you know they they can at least pay to get it fixed. But then it's also like if you injure yourself, you're not working, right? Yeah. So it's it's kind of like a double edged sword, and it's like this documentary especially. Like I've always felt that professional wrestlers they should have a union of some sort or mm-hmm. a way to protect themselves. And uh, this documentary especially, like you know, here and this was before like we knew everything we knew about brain trauma. And we still don't know enough. But it's like here's a guy fucking taking a legitimate steel chair 
Yeah. I don't care what anyone says. Those like those are legitimate steel. Yeah. The tables are fake and the punches aren't real, but everything else is fake. You know. Like they're still falling. They're still yeah. like like and even the, if you hit your head on a prop table, like it's still a table. Like they're yeah. <laughs> it's still like that, flaming, you know, ten feet and like they had that scene earlier in the movie when they showed them building the mat and it's like they're just fucking put putting fucking boards down yeah. and it's like maybe a mat this thick. Yeah. Okay, so like, I haven't even hit 40 yet, right? And there's, there are some of these guys are well over 40. I was putting together, we got a set of like lockers for for our entryway for the kids to put all their stuff in. And I oh, sat down smart on the idea. ground just turning screws and stuff for an hour and my back, like <laughs> legitimate, I was in like, I need ibuprofen levels of pain for two days j- just from that, let alone like... <laughs> Like, I didn't jump. I, I wasn't thrown. I wasn't, like, nobody hit me with a steel chair. And I was in pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of crazy, like, how what, what kind of pain you can go through on a situation like this. So, it's, like you said, I'm not, you know, I, I've thrown my back out grabbing something. Right, yeah. And, like, in... Like, one thing that they don't, like, they didn't talk about in the documentary because at the time, Undertaker's character was so protected that he didn't really do interviews. He had, a, I think he, he had, like, a a um, a fractured ankle during that match with Mick Foley when they were on really? the whole cage match. So, it's like, you know, it, he wasn't doing well himself. <laughs> right. <laughs> it wasn't a one-sided issue. No, no, exactly. And it's like, you know, they, they, they you hear it all the time with wrestlers. The, the, a lot of wrestlers, like, they'll they'll feel something break. Like uh, or feel something go wrong in a match, and they yeah. don't just call timeout. A lot of them will finish the match. Yeah, yeah. And then, especially because adrenaline's running, and right? Like, I feel like not, that's what it, this document. The pain hasn't set in. This yet. documentary. Yeah, this documentary showed that because with Mick Foley, like he said, half the time, he's like, I don't even remember what happened in that match, but you know, everything <laughs> was just kind of going, and you just you just kind of go with it. And I imagine it's very easy to kind of lose control at times when you know if the crowds going crazy you're like mm-hmm. well shit we must be doing this right right and yeah it's it's uh i've said it a couple times like i just find this movie so fascinating for that reason like right. weirdly enough i think it made me a bigger fan of, of wrestling because it, yeah. it kind of hit me at that sweet spot but it's like like seeing how the sausage made made me appreciate it more <laughs> i i could Sometimes you watch a documentary and you think to yourself, oh, that was good. And that was the right amount of content for for me to absorb on this particular topic. And then you move on. Um, This film Mm -hmm. did not, this documentary did not make me more interested in wrestling per se. However, I could watch 10 more documentaries like this talking to other, interviewing other wrestlers. Yeah. Like, I think there is so much interesting story in these people's actual lives. Like, why did they, what kind of people get into wrestling? What, you know, their their own personal struggles within the industry and outside of it. Like, um, and just like this passion that, like, I love doing this where I'm only making, if I'm lucky, $50 a right. show. But I like doing this. Right. Like that, they had that one wrestler. His they didn't give his name, but his name was Spike Dudley. He used it. He had his face was all bloody. That was, was the teacher. Yes, yeah, yep. the teacher. That was who it's I was like, going to bring up. He was a teacher too. beforehand, and he, you know, he was quoting Shakespeare, and he just like, I like doing it. It's fun. <laughs> right, teaching wasn't fun. And like now he do, now he this does like real fun. estate or something like that. <laughs> yeah, like 
And like he said, he liked taking bumps. A bump is like when any any time where you just hit the mat, hit the floor, you know. Okay. Uh, and like he he got known for taking really crazy bumps. They'd throw him <laughs> off shit because he wanted to do it. Right. And he was so small that anyone could throw him. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, uh, and you know, Jake the Snake didn't like. Even he talks about like, uh, well, he kind of he does not like the person he is. He does not like his life, but when he's inside that ring, he knows how to do that. Yeah. Well, and was it McMahon that was saying, um, and maybe it wasn't, um, like, he is not the best wrestler. He does not have, he is not particularly athletic. He is not particularly skilled, but he knows how to work the crowd. Yeah, and that's a big part of it. And that was another interesting thing to me, and, and... it kind of got brought up and reminded when you were talking about how that Eng- former English teacher, like his thing was being small and getting thrown around and taking bumps, like, or or the guy that could throw up on command, like finding your, He's your niche. Like yeah. it, it almost feels like, like Ocean's Eleven, like, oh, we need a fall guy. We need a, you know, we need a guy that can jump off the, the ring and, and, yeah. you know. And it's, you know, because like you'd have guys like Hulk Hogan. Together. Yeah, you'd have guys like Hulk Hogan, who's not a very good wrestler. He's an amazing he, actor. Yeah. He, Santa he with get, muscles. Exactly. <laughs> but he could get the crowd on his side. He is... Hulk Hogan is a big fucking dude. He is six foot eight, like 300 pounds. Okay. And, and he could make people believe that he's the underdog and cheer for him to come back when he's yeah. getting beat up. It's like how... The fact that he can make the crowd think that he's an underdog. And then you have people who are legitimately good wrestlers who have no personality and no one wants to watch them, you know, like, and you're like, it is like a Swiss army knife. Cause like when they're booking a show, um, they'll talk about like, uh, it's like, well, you know, we, we got a space space to fill and you know, we got, you know, you put these two guys out there, they'll have a hell of a match for 15 minutes. And you know, that's kind of their place. They'll put on good matches, but they're not necessarily star material. And, um, I also liked the scene in the movie where, the two young guys got their tryout match for WWE, and it was all the people just standing around the monitor, kind right. of critiquing them. It's like, oh, they right. did this well, they did that well. Oh, he needs to work that. He needs to to, to tune that up a little bit and yep. shit like that. Like, it's it's like they they were thinking in their own mind, like, okay, what's the spot for this guy? Right. What do we do with this guy? <laughs> Where do we put this guy? Does he have something? Right. And as a as a director, as somebody who's worked in theater, like I was able to appreciate all of that in, in this documentary, even without a particular love of wrestling. Yeah. And like I, I've seen other documentaries about wrestling before. They talk about like when people come into WWE and they're like because WWE's whole thing was like, let's give them a character, and you know they'll they'll invest a lot of time and money into people like coming up with names and characters and costumes and music and all this other stuff. And... I loved when uh, McMahon compared himself to or his indus- his company to the Muppets. Like we're both we're both family run businesses yep. that are all based on characters that are, on. <laughs> yeah. and like I looked to him and she, when they, when they, that was first said she's like the Muppets she's like how the fuck and then they explain she goes okay fair okay, enough yeah yep, I'll <laughs> buy it <laughs> and it's even better because the Muppets have been on WWE before <laughs> <laughs> they had a whole segment on Raw one time. <laughs> nice bring it on Fozzie. <laughs> Um, and it's like I also like it's it's kind of crazy to think it's like this is a big business thing like when they're talking about like all the merchandise and the toys and everything and 
I remember like the the mankind Chef Boyardee commercial as a kid. And, <laughs> yeah, I remember that too. And it's like it's and it's very easy to see. And this documentary I think shows it as well because like when this came out, you know, The Rock wasn't a big fucking actor or anything. Right. He wasn't even. I don't think he was even skirting with that yet. Right. Um, but when you see how all this production's done, you're like, yeah, no wonder so many uh, wrestlers their backup plan is acting because. They do a lot of that anyways. Yeah, they're they're hyped up and everything, but they have to go out there, remember lines, and hit a promo and play a character right. and kind of embody this thing. Um, and they're used to makeup and wardrobe and all this other shit. I I could a I could be really wrong. B it could be like uh, retconning his own experience too. But I from what I've heard, I believe like uh, Dwayne Johnson wanted to be an actor and use wrestling as like a footpath into that. I'm not too. Sh- I I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not sure if I I, I don't know if I've ever heard of that. Uh, I I feel I know he was a football player originally. Okay. Um. But but both the Rock's dad and grandfather were professional wrestlers. Oh his, really? All of his all of his aunts all of his uncles are professional wrestlers. He comes from a huge wrestling dynasty of a family. <laughs> nice. So it's kind of one of those things. that's like you know almost everyone in his family wrestles. His daughter right now is trained to be a wrestler. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So like Ed, uh, but then like you know John Cena transitioning out of wrestling, like you know he had like a ten, maybe at most fifteen year career, and uh, you know which is a, you know is a relatively long career, and now that it's like okay, I'm you know I can still walk, <laughs> I, I can I'm, I'm not beat up too bad. Let yeah. you know I this acting <clears throat> thing seems to be proven to be pretty good. Let's go do that. And Hulk Hogan did it. And actually when Hulk Hogan did. It wasn't Vince McMahon didn't want anyone doing shit. I mean, actually, no, it might not have been Vince McMahon at the time. I think it was the promoter. It was Hulk Hogan before he was in WWF. He was in another promotion, and he's like, "Oh, I got a job to be in in Rocky 3. And the guy's like, "Fuck no," because then people are gonna realize, you it, know, it pulls up the veil on this being acting. Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, don't. We're not gonna because you're a bad guy for us, or <laughs> maybe he's a good guy. I don't know. I remember what it was, but it's like, no, you can't go do that. And he did it anyways, and they fired him or some shit like that. But then, like, Vince McMahon, he resents being in wrestling. He he took it over from his father. Yeah. Um, and he kind of resents wrestling. He never, like, when he says that line, uh, you know, I want to make movies, that's, he'd be more, he, he'd like to do anything but wrestling. Really? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's not really his thing. He's made it a part of his life. Yeah, that's uh, particularly interesting given that as the owner of the company, he actually literally became a wrestler. <laughs> yeah, and he's fucking jacked when they show him without his shirt off. Yeah. Like, that can't be the same guy. <laughs> and it is. It also fascinates me hearing them talk about how they're bad guys. And this happened with both The Rock and Vince McMahon. Like backstage, The Rock said it something. Yeah, they're all going to hate me so like so that'll work that'll like uh you know i'm the i'm the rock like i'm he was kind of I'm calling a himself a douchebag like yeah. in, <laughs> which yeah, is no one's a piece of shit like the rock hilarious to me that they're like yeah yeah i am a real dick <laughs> i don't like when vince mcmahon's talking about it he's like he's like you know vince mcmahon the person and mr mcmahon the character are two very different people but you know, I guess there probably is a little bit of me in that character. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was also that moment, um, I think McMahon was talking about, yeah, I, I think he was talking about Jake the Snake when this was, like, in the same conversation where he was talking about, like, how he could get the crowd, like, what 
his still was in wrestling of of like being able to get the crowd mm-hmm. on his side he's like i've had many conversations with him and he was like one of the few people that i can never tell if i'm talking to jake the snake the person or jake the snake the the wrestler persona mm-hmm. and maybe it's the same person and maybe it's not i'll never know um yeah and and like one aspect that I always wish they would touch on a little bit more, like I wish we got a little bit more time in this documentary with the the guys from Roland Alexander School, like the <laughs> Mike Modest, and I don't remember the that other guy's name. That could be its own documentary. Yeah, because like I like I the thing, the line that always sticks out to me whenever I watch this documentary, there is a guy in the back. His name is Jim Cornette. He was like uh, when he was talking to him about you know doing their match, and one I also love when they're like out there like testing the ropes and everything like all the, you know, Ooh, the, the rings really bigger loose, the, yeah. the ropes are looser because everyone's got a different ring um but when he's like uh he's like you know just go out there and do your best you you have the benefit of no one knows who you are but you're <laughs> gonna make them know who you are and it's like oh that's an interesting perspective that eventually everyone starts off as nobody and how do you you know they're not given time you know the new guys are never given time in the mic to be like this is who i am and what i'm about <laughs> they're like they kind of have to just go out there and I call it playing for the cheap seats, essentially, you know, like, you know, like a lot of things like taunting and doing all this other shit. It's, it's, it's just, it's tools that they're given to know. So that way they can tell the crowd, are you a good guy or are you a bad guy? <laughs> what do I think about sh- you? <laughs> yeah. Are you a piece of shit? He's going to cheat. So I should boo you. Or are you, you know, trying to get the crowd on your side? And it's like, I, I thought that like, I wanted a little more of that just to, like, you know, how are these two guys who have never been seen before going to get the crowd to go behind them? And then you know, they said in the back, it's like, well, the crowd's not hating them. So that's a good sign. Right. Um, I'm trying to remember. I I'm now have this, like, recovered memory of uh, a wrestler. I think it was in the WWE that, like, came in and they designed him to be a good guy. But the crowd hated him. And... And, like, them dealing with that, like, oh, we got to flip the script here. Um, But it's, like, I can't pull up enough information for it to be a relevant story. So I'm sorry I just wasted 90 seconds of your life. It's all right. (laughs) I'll never get those 90 seconds back again. So, yeah, I I guess ultimately, like, uh, I'm really glad that you you enjoyed this film as much as you did for not not necessarily being a wrestling fan like you said the movie's not gonna i don't think the movie's gonna necessarily make anyone into a wrestling fan but what i think it does really well is for all the people that you know throughout my life who have told me oh, why do you watch this it's stupid it's fake it's all this other stuff well, i feel like it, it gives some perspective of what is so interesting about it and i always hated they're like well it's fake well yeah so is fucking game of thrones but like, right. you're invested in that every week <laughs> yeah it's, what does that have to do with anything? It, it's because of the long-standing veil of no of of wrestling trying to convince you that it's real. Mm-hmm. I think that's where people just get conf- like you know when you watch Game of Thrones that it's fake, and mm-hmm. and some people don't do well uh, reconciling reality with like with that and mm-hmm. am i supposed to think it's real am i supposed to yeah. think it's fake and some people and that's fine like that's that sounded condescending and maybe it was but i didn't mean it to be um like some the some people can suspend their disbelief better than others and some people are willing to go on those journeys that others aren't and that's cool <laughs> yeah and it's and we're kind of now at this point of wrestling that 
I don't think anyone is necessarily surprised that it's, you know, they're not necessarily trying to keep it a secret, but they're right. not outright saying it. But it's, you know, you go to it for the spectacle, for the athleticism. Like, um, a lot of people who transition from other sports to, to wrestling are like, fuck, my cardio is not nearly as good as I thought it was. <laughs> right. Because, you know, you know, you go, you go 10, 15, to upwards of 30 minutes to even a lot of the old timers used to go an hour straight. It's like, you know, you, you kind of have to be... You have to be ready to go. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's a different type of athleticism required than what an audience member thinking it's real would assume. Yeah, like The Rock, he 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 his body's impressive as hell now, but he he was in better ring shape when he was wrestling. Yeah, we well, had a little more baby flat baby. <laughs> he was not in a bad shape at all, but he's not like the fucking made out of you know marble <laughs> specimen he is now. <laughs> Dude, need to get fanned off, or <laughs> you, you got a little red cheek. Yeah, and sweaty yeah, he's thinking about him. <laughs> he, he he's impressive looking. I can't <laughs> deny. It. Hell no. Um. <laughs> uh, so yeah, was there anything else you wanted to talk about with Beyond the Mat, or questions you I, had, or I just? I think I'm doing on Beyond the Mat again. Like as a character study, I thought it was a really great watch. Yeah, I agree. Uh, anything else you want to talk about, Nick, on this episode? Well, you, you've you been informed of my um, main quarantine, how, how I am taking this quarantine opportunity to like dive into some uh, a segment of cinema that I have yet to touch much. And that is that I'm finally diving into the Marvel series the marvel yeah. universe and you're I, watching in chronological order not release date like order. yeah like uh chronological of the events within the universe um not not in release Sorry. date order so um started with uh captain america the first avenger i believe since i was in the 40s you know and then mm-hmm. captain marvel in the 90s and going up from there so last night we watched um, the second Thor, uh, Dark World, I think it's yeah. called. I remember liking that one more than the first one when it came up, but I've only seen it one time. Okay. And then um, Captain America Winter Soldier. I loved Winter Soldier. And then I believe next are the two um, Guardians of the Galaxy, if I remember correctly, which I think are the ones I'm going to enjoy the most. So I know I know you said there, it's all kind of like episodic television for you to an extent, but is there, have there been any that you've enjoyed more than I know we talked a little bit how uh, neither of us are huge Thor fans yeah. and uh, neither of us really like Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really good at shooting arrows. Oh, sorry guys, yeah. I'm out of arrows. <laughs> yeah. Um, I of what I've seen so far. Um, I did really enjoy Captain Marvel, which I had actually already seen, and I did see that one in the theater. Um, I Captain America's okay. Um, I I problematically enjoy Iron Man because, like, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, like, he's so charming and charismatic by being an asshole, which I'm so yeah. conflicted about, like... I yeah. enjoy it. It's the same as like um, kind of the conversations that we ha- we've had about um, Vince Vaughn. It's that same kind of like charismatic jerk where you're pulled in, but then you're like uncomfortable being pulled into it 
because he's a jerk. So yeah, um, yeah, that's kind. Of, that's but I actually yeah, that's like, definitely a perfect description. Of <laughs> I found um, Iron Man three really fascinating, and they did this a little bit in Winter Soldier too, going into like the PTSD of it all that that you mm-hmm. don't typically go into in a superhero story. Um, where um, he was taken down and, and suffering, and he, you could see the little bit of that charismatic asshole that he had, he was using as a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't on all the time like he was in the first two. It was more like, I, I really enjoy, of, of the Iron Man movies, I think I enjoyed three the most for that reason. It's been a while since I've seen three. I want to revisit that one. I always remember really liking two. Um, because, like, a lot of my issue with a lot of superhero films is, like, the, the origin story film is always going to be the origin story. It's I don't feel like very few, pardon me, have much int- much interesting to say or do. I liked Iron Man, uh, not Iron Man, uh, Captain America, because I liked, like, this weird retrofuturism and revisionist <laughs> history aspect of it. And, yeah. like, the montage of him punching Hitler. I thought it was it was a lot of fun. Um, but I for me, for a lot of superhero films, it's, like, I think the weight of the next film kind of determines how the series how i feel about the series as a whole yeah um because like i feel like all the marvel origin story movies for the most part are just kind of like iron man redone (laughs) there's there's definitely like a lot of repetition of theme and 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 format and you know Mm -hmm. but the ones that try to do it a little bit different i think the ones i respond to like i thought captain marvel found an interesting way to do it differently and um the guards of the galaxy first one does a way finds a way to do it differently Um, i think one of my issues with so the the first two captain america and captain marvel had this very strong theme that played out almost exactly the same in both films in that like what makes you a superhero isn't your strength or your abilities or anything it's that you won't when you get knocked down you won't stay down you you'll get back up and they had that same scene of them getting knocked down like oh but but i'm gonna keep getting back up no matter what and that's what distinguishes me from so that was like it on the topic of like seeing those same things play out it was those two back to back were it it was very transparent Makes sense. Uh, but I feel like that could also just be, you know, one of the issues of watching them in this order, too. Like, had there been a 10-year gap between those totally. two films, you might have forgot. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, um, had I not watched them no, the like, same I, day. <laughs> yeah. And for me, it's like I, I haven't been as quarantined as other people because my job is still considered essential. So I still have to go in for a couple of days. Um, so, But I have had more, a little more free time than normal. Uh, for me, you know, uh, well, I watch a lot of movies anyways, but uh, me and Amanda, when everything first started going really crazy, we decided to just really lean into it and watch, well, first, Mad Max Fury Road again. Nice. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, let's just see how bad this could potentially get for <laughs> right. us. And then I was like, well, you know, there's a movie I've been wanting to see, and it's pretty much, you know, direct parallel to what we've been talking about. So we watched George A. Romero's The Crazies. <laughs> nice. Which is about a, a a town infected with a virus kind of, and, you know, how the government handles it. <laughs> so it's like, wow, this is a little too real right yep. now. 
And then I watched National Treasure for the first time. Nice. So, and yeah. I don't want to talk about that one because I think we'll actually do an episode on it. National Treasure. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, well, then I won't talk about that. And then... Uh, I also, I watched Outbreak. Um, okay. And I think in the last episode I me- might have mentioned, um, and I can't think of the name of it, um, another like infection-based film. Um, was it was it quarantine not quarantine was it quarantine might have been quarantine let's see it had um Lawrence Fishburne in it I'll reverse engineer this contagion yep that's it so those two I've watched in the last two weeks <laughs> and yeah like not not particularly like reassuring <laughs> no no so yeah, I imagine those would be kind of tough, um, kind of tough watches for that reason alone. Uh, and then what I decided to do, because like another thing I did too, when I, I had about a four day break from work where I decided to just you know take a couple of days off and kind of unwind. So uh, Animal Crossing came out, so Amanda was playing that, and I had some free time because she was playing it all on a handheld. So I I played a game that I've heard a lot of good things about, but never played it called The Last of Us, which is also about the end of the <laughs> yep, world. Yep. Um, so I, I beat that in four days. Nice. <laughs> it's not that long of a game. Uh, and also didn't really reassure me. <laughs> but what I've decided to do is cause, um, I always have kind of a large watch list because of uh, how many people I get movies from now at this point sure that i'm gonna start chipping away at my watch list of things that hopefully i can do a review on sooner than later awesome so that's all that's what that's what i've been doing and i got three ready to talk about whenever you i know like i said hopefully i i i should be able to do that um by this weekend but it's actually really great timing because uh, I don't know if it's been released yet, but uh, Kids in the Hall are releasing new episodes. I You told me about that. Did I've I? never watched them. Yeah, yeah sounds I, like something I've, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I've never really watched. I've, I've heard of them. I know, you know, about them. I've just okay. never really watched it. Same it's, thing with Monty Python. I just never got around to it. Yeah. Um, sketch comedy, but it's it was also produced uh, by Lauren Michaels. It's oh, Canadian SNL. No, it's it's something I eventually want to check out. I've always heard really great things about it. It's oh. just, you know, it's one of those things that just kind of got pushed down. And sketch comedy is not normally my go-to. There are have been some exceptions, obviously. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh... Well, real quick though, before we yeah. go, I want I want to at least make good by one of my sponsors by talking about one thing okay yeah so you get to pick one of three titles and i'll talk about whichever one you think just based on the title sounds most interesting okay so first i got a movie called oop the disc came out (laughs) called uh the zombie island massacre (laughs) uh i've also got one called hollywood horror house also known as savage savage intruder Or Lust in the Dust. Okay, well... And that is not a porno. Given that I saw your post this morning, and that I assumed it was a porno, and you clarified that it is not, I am going to choose Lust in the Dust. Okay, Lust in the Dust. So let me read the back of the box, and then I'll talk about it. All right. Showgirl Rosie Velez, played by Divine from uh, Pink Flamingos and Polyester, is making her way through the New Mexico desert 
to the small town of Chile Verde. But when she falls off her ass, accidentally spilling her gin in the process, Rosie is left stranded in the desert with nothing to drink. Left to fend for herself, she soon meets desperado Abel Wood, played by Tab Hunter. And the two of them head west for Chile Verde. Upon arriving, Rosie discovers that she and Margarita Ventura, played by uh, Lainey Kazan from My Big Fat Greek Wedding, okay. <laughs> uh, the town madam, each have a unique tattoo on their on their posteriors, which they discover might be a treasure map leading to the region's mythic gold cachet. Oh my god. A broad god. comedy of westerns directed by acclaimed cult filmmaker Paul Bartell, who did Eating Raul and Death Race 2000, and produced by its leading man Tab Hunter, Lust in the Dust co-stars Jeffrey Lewis, Henry Silva, Cesar Romero, and Woody Strode. Vinegar Syndrome is proud to present the world Blu-ray debut of this 80s cult classic, newly restored in 4K from its long-lost original 35mm camera negative. The Old West has given us many legends of heroism, many tales of courage and valor. Now, thundering across the screen, comes the mightiest, most inspiring saga of all. Return with us to an era when men were men. A time when the law of the land was the lay of the land. Anyone like to try again? Lust in the dust. The heroes and outlaws, the sweethearts and sluts. Nice pair of jingle bobs. Thanks. They came to Chili Verde in search of treasure. Tab Hunter is the stranger. I am the best French kisser in Chile Verde. If I come across a Frenchman, I'll be sure and let him know. No one knew the fury of his vengeance. No one cared. Lainey Kazan is Margarita. Freeze, hombre, or I'll be wearing your asshole for a god. She liked her men like she liked her liquor. Hard and rotten. Henry Silver is Bernardo. Cesar Romero is Father Garcia. Some people have gone crazy, but not me. Oh, no, 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 no. Jeffrey Lewis is Hard Case Williams. Not gonna hurt you! Courtney Gaines is Red Dick. Most folks around here call me Red Dick. His name says it all. Ah! And divine is Rosie Valez. Come and get it. These legs! We're made for wrapping around you so tight Only every night He rode the west You're going to have your filthy way with me under the hot desert sun, aren't you? She rode the rest <laughs> Why don't they ever invite me to their parties? Together, they ravaged the land <laughs> God, you're disgusting Lust in the dust. With all the violence and spectacle, this is a very moral tale. Lust in the Dust, a new comedy from director Paul Bartel. Holy shit. Ba- based on that, I would watch it. Like a, <laughs> yeah. a film that I would ordinarily not, that is one where the description of it, I'm totally on board for. And, and, and one thing I really appreciate about it, so it is a spoof of Westerns, but it's less of a Mel Brooks spoof where it's just like the entire thing is zany and crazy. And more so, like the first 30, I would say even 40 minutes of the film are treated like a legitimate real Western just with Divine in it <laughs> instead. And there are some jokes, but there it's not like every scene's not built around how can we get a joke in. It's more so... 
what's the story and can then can we fit a joke in right because like uh 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 budget on it it looked like it had a pretty big budget i've seen legitimate western that didn't look as good as this film did in terms of set dressing and design and apparently the documentary was not documentary the film was originally pitched to uh producers as supposed it was supposed to be the wild bunch with divine (laughs) um and Tab Hunter, who uh, is 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 I I believe he's actually uh, he's a homosexual actor. I, I don't know if he was out at the time, but that was his whole. And he wanted to make a, a serious western starring Divine, <laughs> and it didn't quite turn out that way. To me, it feels more like a, a Leone ripoff, where Tab Hunter's very plain, very convincingly a. Um, Whoa! Sorry, I, I thought I thought I thought the, my audio was coming through my speakers. Uh, he's playing very convincingly a uh, Clint Eastwood ripoff type nice. character. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I don't think he even says a line for the first 20, 25 minutes. He does it very convincingly. Uh, I, I had a lot of fun with it. There, it does drag a little bit in the middle, but like I I texted a friend of mine this morning when I was watching it, and I told her that the thing that I think is most entertaining about this movie is no one's treating the material like it's beneath them. Nice. And everyone is really committed to their roles, to the point where actually I think Divine is the least interesting part of this film, because (laughs) everyone else is trying so hard. Like, Jeffrey Lewis and Lainey Kazan still every scene that they're in. They're both really funny. There's random musical numbers, but not overly done like a like a musical would. It's just, you know, they're in a saloon and they start singing. Um, uh, and there's, like, a, a pretty convincing a shootout in the middle of the film. Like, it's it's it was a lot of fun. It was more fun than I was expecting. And I kind of pushed the film down my list because... I thought it was going to be a lot more tongue-in-cheek than it was. Like, it's definitely a spoof, and it's definitely a comedy, but I appreciated that it wasn't just like, how can we shove as many jokes per scene? It wasn't like a Mel Brooks kind of spoof. Exactly. Like, it was... They They wanted to make a legitimately good, fun film, and jokes definitely were there. Um... And then I also appreciate, too, like, I... I have always appreciated that whenever Divine's in a movie, they never... There's never a character who has to make a joke about like, oh, that that lady was like a man or anything. It's always just established that she is a woman in every film that she's in, and I always appreciate that. Nice. Um, oh, like I always knew John Waters would be that way because they're good friends. But then like I'm just I have not seen many movies that Divine was in that John Waters didn't direct, so I like to see that that was a continued trend. Yeah. Um, so I found myself really enjoying this movie more than I thought it was because, like, I, 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 just, I guess I just didn't know what to expect with the title like "Lust in the Dust" and <laughs> right. there's a really great opening theme song where it sounds like Stan Marsh from South Park is singing because he sings everything like this, <laughs> uh, which I'll probably add somewhere in this. Uh, but yeah, I, I also Cesar Romero with a full fucking beard was great. He plays a priest. <laughs> Uh, and even him, like, he's, you know, the fucking Joker's in this movie and treating everything very seriously. And I I, I, I just appreciate that. I think, <coughs> sorry, a good comedy, a good spoof should be a film where you are trying. Like, you're trying to do a good performance. You're trying to go, yeah. do a good movie. And the comedy should come out of the situation. And, you know, Mel Brooks doesn't necessarily always go with that. And I still do love a lot of Mel Brooks's films, but I feel like they can sometimes be just a little taxing. 
Like, I, I personally don't love Blazing Saddles as much as everyone else because I think the first 30 minutes are great, and then everything after that just kind of gets old. I, I haven't because seen it's, Blazing it's, Saddles it, it, since, like, high school, so it's it's been a long time. The joke the, the, the joke per minute ratio is just so high that it just kind of... <laughs> near the end, near the middle, it's like, is this movie still going? <laughs> the, and there's... The one part oh. that I real, really remember from Blazing Saddles, and it's because I, I have tremors... Is when um, uh, yeah, the names is Gene Wilder is mm-hmm. like holds out his hand, steady as a rock or whatever. He's like, yeah, but this is the hand I shoot with. Yes, yeah. it's like, hey, that's me. <laughs> There's also a scene near the end that makes me laugh where they, it, I don't remember how it happens, but they ended up storming a film studio because they break the fourth wall, <laughs> so they leave their own set and they invade all the the cowboys invade a musical and it just had like they get into a fist fight if everyone at the musical and, and one of the guys just comes and punches a horse and the horse has a fall anytime a horse gets punched in a movie i think it's really funny <laughs> peter loves it too it doesn't happen very often yeah peter loves it they're, they're they're the best for that um so yeah i actually really recommend lust in the dust nice um, uh, and then real quick, the special features on the back are it, the film is newly scanned and restored in 4K from its 35mm original negative. There is a feature called Return to Chile Verde, the making of Lust in the Dust, and it has Tab Hunter and um, the screenwriter Alan Glazer. The importance of being Paul, an archival featurette on the films of Paul Bartel. This was a, that, that was one of the, because uh, I watched this literally before we recorded, <laughs> that was the only thing I was able to watch. Uh, it was a really kind of sweet tribute to the director Paul Bartel, who is a name that I always knew, but because um, I'd I, I knew I'd seen Death Race two thousand, but I didn't really know like his kind of importance and his style, like who he was as a filmmaker. And while I was only sixteen minutes, I thought it was a really kind of touching tribute to this filmmaker that. Um, you know, they, they kind of cap it all off with saying that you know they asked there's one day on set where he was being very quiet and just kind of sitting to himself. And this was the type of person he was. And they was like, Paul, is everything okay? He's like, no, everything's perfect. He's like, it's a beautiful day. I get to make a movie. Nothing could be better than this. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's uh, More Lust, Less Dust, an archival making of featurettes. And then uh, that the film is presented in two different aspect ratios because uh, the film was originally made in 1851, but on some of the DVD releases, they had it shrunk to on, like to super widescreen. Uh, and there was always debate about what was the proper display option, so they put both of them on nice. there just for posterity. So cool. So that was Lust in the Dust. All right. Prior to that, I guess I just have two words for you. If you're not down with that, I got two words <laughs> for you. Wait, I was like, hold on a second, hold up. Wait, what? wait, wait. Watch movies. Watch movies. <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, hold up a second. Hold up a second. <laughs> In the hot desert sun, a man's heart grows cold. Sand-filled winds rust his soul. Till his heart, like a rock, with nowhere to roll. But aimlessly on and on. When life's been nothing but a dirty deal The dirtier it gets, 
the better he feels. Then he's gone too far. He'll plant no seed. He's just a tarnished The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers, and is more often than not edited by Michael Viers. Any TV or YouTube versions of the show to date have been edited by Nick Richards, Tyler Hanna, or Dina Volani. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration from Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed, and our new kick-ass logo was designed by Amanda Byers. A special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors at Mill Creek Entertainment and Vinegar Syndrome. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links to all these tremendous folks, as well as the show, in the description below. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe.